Welcome to episode 358 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright, our team, welcome along to episode 358 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Owls. How you going, mate? I'm as good as you can be sitting outside of backpackers in pitch black dark in the front seat of my car. Oh, you're in the car? Yeah. You're like that CD guy, people who's driving past going, what's that guy doing exactly. on that computer? Exactly. Oh, no. You might get pulled up. The neighbours are calling right now. They're calling the police guard. There's some seedy guy hanging outside our house. A thriving metropolis of Kaiteri. I think not. <laughs> I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofhawaii.com. Tell you what, kickstart your morning with some coffee. I need some of that right now. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Trainingpeaks.com. How to keep a record of how great you are. And slstry.com. Just had a look. Great. Okay, guys, on this week's show, John's obviously up in Kaiteri, so it's a little bit of a slightly different show this week. We've got some news, and we've got two interviews. Who have we got the interviews with, John? So first up, we've got uh, Mahi Drysdale, who is a Olympic rowing champion, five-time world champion over the single skulls, uh, and he's doing Ironman Port Macquarie next weekend. So have a bit of a talk to him about the change between rowing and uh, triathlon. And then Dan Plews is also with Mahi. He is a sports physiologist um, from Rowing New Zealand, also a triathlete, and he was one of the joint age groupers of the week last week. Uh, he did, uh, as, as we find out, it was his first ever Ironman. Man, and he finished second age group. Second, was his second or third age yeah, group? Third overall. overall. Third overall. Yeah. Um, pretty impressive. Not on too I, I think one thing people need to know about Mahi Drysdale, for those people who don't know him, is he's the current Olympic champion. And look, he'll, yeah. he'll be going back to the next Olympics. So he's not some guy who's retired and kind of looking at doing something different. He's just using Iron Man as a gap filler. So mm. <laughs> as you do. And, and second interview, we've got Adam. Opstot. Um, and Adam is a, an elite age trooper who's. Uh, going into the pro division this year and um, just sort of talking about the ins and outs of, uh, you know, basically going from racing as age grouper, turning into pro. Welcome to a new world. Okay, team, so let's have it, and then we've got some questions and answers at the end. So first of all, let's talk about some news. And um, we had a race and where was it, John? Koh Samui. So the Koh Samui Triathlon. So it's Taipei? No, Taiwan. No. Thailand. Thailand. I knew this was Thailand, yeah? <laughs> Third time lucky. Um, and I am staggered, Bevan. The prize money at this race is awesome. So it's uh, 800,000 um, baht for the first male. Um, interestingly, they don't have even prize money. The first female uh, gets 500,000 baht. When I checked the other day, I think 800,000 baht was around about $27,000 US. So that's Awesome prize money. Um, rolls down to 10th place, only 20,000 baht for 10th. But still, that's a big payday uh, in terms of any triathlon around the world. And um, I'm staggered that, that not more better pros turn up. It's just there's not that much money out there in the sport. And people go and choose to do a little, you know, uh, $2,000 Ironman somewhere where they could be going over here and getting a huge payday. So interesting. But the course is over um, a slightly different distance it's over sort of the nice distance uh so it's a, a 4k swim uh it is a uh 30k run 
and the bike, uh, you supposedly do a full lap of the island, but we'll get onto that in a moment, which is 122 kilometres. So, well, it was uh, a very controversial race, wasn't it? So, so yeah. what happened was basically it was a, was it a two lap course? Was it? I'm not sure if it's one or two lap course. Well, but it's, uh, on, it, had, on, it had a little segment, a little tack on segment. You Trizone.com.au, which is obviously an Australian triathlon website, they had an article about it saying, kind of wrapping up what they thought had happened. And then Courtney Atkinson um, actually came on and wrote a post on there kind of clarifying what he believes, well, he's saying what really happened in the race. And it sounded like it was a bit of a funny situation in that there was a bit of a lap. They did the, all, Everyone did the first lap. And then the second lap, it sounds as though the local police basically said to these guys, you know, you need to follow us, don't, you know, follow us, follow us, follow us. And they kind of took over, you know, all kind of leadership of the race. And... Um, and so, you know, Courtney Agnes was saying, well, you kind of felt they were doing it wrong, but what were you meant to do? Were you meant to not follow the marshals or not follow the police? And it was a really tricky situation. And so at the end of the day, pretty much everybody who did the course missed this extra loop except for four pro athletes, from what I can tell. Is, is that about right, John? Well, if, if you've read the article, that's what, <laughs> that's what we'll roll with. It basically I did read it. Did you read it? I did read it, but yeah. I didn't. I didn't read Courtney Atkins, uh, Atkinson's reply. I didn't scroll down far okay, enough. Okay, so he's obviously. got first of all his rare story. All competitors completed the loop in question on the first lap, so we all knew the course. So the first lap, everyone did it. Only four men rode the loop on the second lap. No female competed this loop. Um, he's got there. Myself and Ben Allen were seven minutes forty ahead of third at the 65k mark and nine minutes ahead at the 80k mark, which we rode in 1:58 even before the loop section discussed. So that's speed we're talking about. So in the in the article, they're saying that the, these guys got a 15-minute penalty when they came into the transition, and they're saying, well, really, it's probably more of like, it should have been a 30-minute, and he's saying, actually, 15 minutes was probably pretty fair. Um, anyway, he's just saying that's kind of how to play. He said he was in a real tough position. At this stage in my head, I was angry. We'd lost time if we had to go on the wrong mistaken course. And my first thought as a racer was, even if we continued... Um, if I'm in the wrong, the rest of the field will pass out and will lose out. I think we lost around four extra minutes to everyone that didn't do their loop, the other four guys. But we were so far ahead of them, it seems not it would not have been noted. So he's kind of got, he was put in a really tricky situation, and yeah, it sounds like a bit of a mess, really. It does, and um, you know. When you get the, have these races in uh, small places, not huge fields, and um, probably not uh, your, your crew are probably not that experienced in in triathlon marshalling, or or you don't brief them fully, then um, these things, I guess, can happen. But there's no there's no easy solution. But interesting to see Courtney Atkinson uh, take it out. As we said, you know whether the whether the, the whether they did or didn't do the full course, or I mean, obviously they didn't. But if if they had, how would have David Dallow and those guys gone? It's it's hard to say. But um, interesting to see Courtney Atkinson stepping up uh, and going longer. And and as I said, it's a great payday. And I'm really, really surprised that we don't see um, better guys or more guys turning up. Courtney Atkinson's quality. Ben Allen is a very, very good Australian. Um, I think he still races age group, I think. Um, but he may be racing pro now. But, you know, you've only got a, a handful of other very good pros in there. You know, you had Dave Dallow, Jimmy Johnson. Um, so that was somewhat surprising. Melissa Holstein, uh, so in terms of times, um, swam 51 minutes, uh, the bike time with an asterisk is 2.49 and the run is 2.16 for a time of six hours, uh, he won by five minutes over Ben Allen and Marcel Zamora-Perez uh, was back in 6.13, so about 13 minutes off. 
And on the fourth place overall, though, was Melissa Holstein, who took out the girls' race. Uh, Freakish race. In 6.14. Wow. And assuming these splits are correct here, um, she ran 2.07 versus Courtney Atkinson's 2.16. So that's, uh, that's pretty mind-blowing. And uh, you also had Liz Blatchford there. So the, the quality in the girls is, is very high. You know, Liz Blatchford's an awesome athlete. Um, I've never heard of her. Is she John? She is ITU. Okay. Uh, she's listed here as an Aussie, but she races for, for UK. So she was there in 6.20. And, uh, Caroline Stephan. Caroline Stephan in third place in 6.32. What we've got to note about this race, incredibly tough conditions normally. Don't know what it was like this year, but very, very hot, very, very humid. And, uh, yes, yeah, so I think they only had um, a couple of hundred people racing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I often say, you know, Put up, you know, put the races on, put the big prize money up, and uh, and the athletes will come, but but they're not, <laughs> which is uh, is interesting. And now, John, is this a race that's known on the calendar? Like everyone knows it's good money every year. No, it's it's not. I mean, this is. I think it's only the second time they've had it. It's organised by the same guys that organise uh, Embraman, which is also massive money for uh, for you know in triathlon circles. Mm. Um, not very well promoted. You know, it's it's run by a French. Um, a French guy who's who's run Embrim for you know since the day dot. So for whatever reason, uh, they, they're not very good at promoting it or whatever. But in terms of the English-speaking triathlon world, they don't do a great job in promoting it. Um, but maybe it's huge in, in Europe. I'm not sure, but the fields certainly aren't big. So it'll be interesting to see if this this uh, race sticks around. Um, as I said, huge money, kind of cool course, but, but but very very hot. Was there an age group race at all? Yes. It was. So about yes. 200 people and then you had 30, 40 pros, so about 160 age groupers. You're assuming all these people are pros that are listed on here. I'm not sure if they all would be, but um, that was what I read somewhere. Well, so you kind of think it's not sustainable if they don't get more people really, is it? Well, it's, it's purely like a lot of these races. It's just a, it's a PR stunt for, for, for tourists and Koh Samui is a very, very uh, hot tourist destination and um, and they'll just be you know putting some nice little trailers together and um, yeah, just... Still can't believe that not more more people turn up. Yeah, good times, rock and roll. Okay, then um, we also had the strongman, which was on Japan. But any results for that? No results, but just what I'd love. It was a 29th edition, and uh, it was 29th or 30, 30th edition, I think it was, or 29th. Um, so good, well done, everybody did the strongman. Okay, Andreas Raylert wins 70.3 in New Orleans, and he took out um, the Wurtel. Trevor Wurtel, only by a few seconds. No, it sounds like Wurtel had a pretty good race. He kind of raced up to him, didn't he? Yeah, outstanding race. I mean, you never know um, if Rayleigh's just there to, to accumulate points or whether he's really, really going for it. Um, but uh, yeah, impressive result by Trevor Wirtle. So Andreas, Andreas Rayleigh starting to accumulate those points um, early in the season to make sure he gets to, to Kona without too many drivers. And then uh, Hayley Chura took out the female race. Apparently in her first, I think it might have been one of her first races as a pro, so well done to her. Oh, well done, good work. Um, we've got uh, the Hits Marble Falls coming up this weekend. Yep, and the, but the big news from the weekend was uh, the latest round, John's ITU update, latest round of the uh, the World Championship Series, and it was a bit of a crushing victory by Alistair Brownlee. Oh, I saw I saw that you know they do the kind of the five minute I think um, who sent it through? Um, I'll think about it in a minute. But someone sent it through and it had the kind of YouTube five minute wrap up clip, and he's just dominant, isn't he? He is. I mean, he's just on another planet when he, when he's running. He's just. Uh, He's just so much better than everybody else. They they can't even get close. And apparently, he you know he, he certainly was claiming after the race. He, he only uh, 
only has been training back training for six weeks, so pretty scary proposition really. Um, Gomez wasn't on his top game, so he's he can normally give him at least a little bit of a, a good push. Um, so that was a bit of a shame, but it was really Alistair Brownlee. We had uh, Yahoo Silver managed to hang with him for about um, I don't know maybe two k or so, and then uh, he sort of drifted off to third. But it was a real shame. There was a, there was a really good break on the bike. They had about nine guys breaking away, and and I really thought they were actually going to stay away. They seemed to be working together pretty well, but uh, the large second pack um, didn't reel them in. I can't remember exactly what stage it was, but uh, they must have been working pretty hard. And um, somebody sent through Jan Fredino's power file, and uh, they were friend of V. Yeah, he sent through the averaging 419 watts until they caught the uh, caught caught the front group. So they were having to work pretty hard because the front group was fairly well organised. But uh, yeah, I think it's um, Wait, the, nine, the 930 in the run, and and you saw him walking, you know, a good 30 metres before the finish line. Jeez, that boy's it's just amazing, isn't he? The run was short, and he oh, it was? <laughs> it was one of the. That it had to be. I mean, that was one of the first things that uh, he said in his, his interview. They said, "Oh, that's an amazing run time. You know, you did twenty nine thirty. He goes, "Yeah, the run was short. I wasn't running twenty nine thirty pace." Oh, really? <laughs> so, okay. And I and I look at the girls' splits as well, and um, it's they're just it's just not accurate. Um, How can it so, be, John? Sorry? How can that be? Oh, we had this discussion every time, Bevan. It's just not good enough. Well, why it? do we it, have it this discussion every time, John? That's the big question. Well, I'm not the bloody race organizer. They just set short courses. Your world. Or? You should be contacting them. Look, I sort it out. We've got is, GPS nowadays. It's not that hard. It's pretty poor. It's John, pretty I have poor. to say, amazed that bugger all spectators. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, like, I, had, I, like before the race, a couple hundred people there. Like maybe maybe a thousand at best. You know, like it didn't look like that many people were there watching this race. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe if somebody who was there spectating. Uh, sometimes, I, I reckon it can be misleading. Sometimes you can look at TV footage and it looks like there's hardly anybody there. There's lots of people there. Um, so, so who knows? Maybe some people who are down there racing because they did have a big age group race down there. How, how well supported it was, I don't know. Um, but if anybody was down there at the race, maybe give us a bit of feedback in terms of uh, whether it was well publicised well, and whether there like was the a good start looked like a local, a local triathlon. Mm. Didn't look like some, you know, the world's best event but just just my, just my thoughts just, just putting it out there John just putting it out there so Richard Murray was second good race by him Yahoo Silver was uh, third that's and a great name on the uh, the girls side of things uh, Gwen Jorgensen took it out I mean she had her run split was 33.10 as I said I think that's um, a little bit short but very good race for her I think it's one, first time in a long long time I've seen an American on, on top and she had to run through there was a great breakaway that worked really really hard with Emma Moffat and uh Jody, I think it was no, it wasn't Jody Stimson. Uh, Sarah Groff and and a couple of others, and they they rode really well. had had a decent lead coming off the bike, but uh, got ran down. Non Stanford was a second, um, and Emma Moffat was in that breakaway, and she just got caught and ended up being third place. But uh, again, we're seeing more poms coming through. You know, this uh, non Stanford and second and Jody Stimson. Those the poms are going to be just they just keep on reeling out the athletes. They've got an awesome system in place, and uh, and the rest of the world has got a bit of catching up to do. Are they that far behind? Yes. In terms of just, the, they've just got a really good production line. You know, you always look through the results and they've always got a couple on the, on the guys. So I, think, I think they had David Bowden in fifth place. Most people wouldn't have heard of him much before, but they've just got a really good production line of athletes coming through. It's good so, so as a Kiwi looking from the outside, what are the Poms doing well? Oh, they've just got a, a, a development program, you know, and they've got little hubs set up and, and different coaches in different places and uh, and just got a, you know, got a development program and they get, Good numbers, and then the, the surely the, the other countries have development programs. 
yeah, I think the palms are pretty onto it. You know, um, in New Zealand, you know, we don't, we don't have a development program really, um, and so it's just a matter of getting enough coaches and resources on on the ground and and um, getting the talent and actually then being able to support them and actually building up a nice big base and then you'll get that those one or two freakish athletes that will come through from time to time. But um, yeah, no, they're onto it. They really are. You palms are kicking butt right now. So. Uh this week's discussion, John, so we had discussion of the week was we've got a uh, question from Bree just asking around, a lot of folks seem to be jumping on the coaching bandwagon these days and calling themselves coaches after taking a one weekend class. What does it take to become a legitimate coach or a good triathlon coach? Do you have to be fast or just passionate and knowledgeable about the sport? What makes a good coach and what do you look for? Good old Peter Coulson decided to put the boot into me straight off the Australia. <laughs> I up. saw that. Online coaches are just in it for the money grab. The good coaches are the ones you see weekly at several sessions. They can provide visual feedback. They keep you honest in your sessions. They provide mental assistance. None of these things can come from an online money-grabbing coach. <laughs> Peter Coulson, Coulson, you're full of crap. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I'm, I, I totally agree with you if, in terms of uh, you're far better off having somebody who can be there with you and uh, be there at sessions and give you feedback. But that's just not, Peter, it's just not realistic. And for, for, for probably 90% of the people in the world, we're not in, all in Australia where there's a, a coach on every corner of the street. Um, the reality right. is a lot of people uh, are in a situation where either the, 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 the training, the local training just doesn't fit or they don't have somebody who's a half-decent coach. So um, online coaching is, is not optimal, but it's um, it, you know, I think there's a huge amount of coaches that prove that it can be done very, very well. Yeah, Take that, Peter. Yeah, take that, man. Pow! <laughs> Peter Clifford, he's got right up my alley, guys. I am a coach educator and coach in Australia. Coach Ed is going through a lot of change at the moment as federations are realising that two days just isn't enough. The follow-up development is critical and like everything it really is up to the individual and how hard they work at this. When you step out of the course is the moment when you start the process of learning. Usually the courses are designed to give you the basic tools to make sure you can look after your athletes safely and give them the right amount of preparation to allow them to compete or complete. From there, you are on your own path. Uh, Rob Bonney, a coach is exactly that, a good coach. They are not always great athletes or competitors, but they understand people and how to train. Their ability is in the understanding of how to train, not their own personal physical achievement. I think the courses only help find them. Jason Reed, you could add to that the fact that so many coaching businesses are just trying to pass themselves off as clubs. Where is there a difference? Bryant Hardy, a passionate and knowledge, uh, a passion and knowledge for the sport and the people being coached should come ahead of the current or past ability. There are and have been many athletes and teams reached the top with coaches that have had very few personal results of their own. Again, we are in the unique sport where we have the ability to compete alongside those coaching us for as long as we are able. There are very few sports where this can happen. It could be a double-edged sword if not managed properly. Do you have to be a been to Kona or a world champs to be a good coach? I personally don't think so, but I'm sure it helps business until you build a good coaching reputation. Benjamin King, he's gone really basic. I really think you just need to watch a few YouTube clips of each discipline and you pretty much got it nailed. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. That's all we have to do. It's, it's it's just, that's what you do, isn't it? Yeah, that's all you do. It's, it's, it's nice. Somebody inquires about coaching, send them an invoice, say, watch this, this, this clip <laughs> and you're, you're away. Uh, right, the last one I'll do, Tony Hodge. For me, a good coach has three qualities. One, experience at 
and passion for the distance I want to race. Two, understands and shares my goals. Three, knows that if you're not having fun and successfully balancing work, work, life and training, you're not doing it right. David Yates, Scott, uh, as a former world I age grouper qualifier and a sub-10 Ironman turned level one tri-coach, results give you credibility and experience, but that doesn't make you a good coach. A good coach is there to help the athlete achieve their goals, not the coaches. They must have passion, knowledge, and the ability to explain the complexities such as, as, as to make it sound simple, they must know when to push them and how when to hold them back, all the while taking into account the constraints that exist, time, money, family, work, injury, etc. As I'm finding out, it's not as easy as it sounds, but it's very rewarding. So, John, you're a coach. What do you think? Oh, you don't need coaches. They're just money grabbing. Especially those internet guys, I tell you. Oh, they're oh, full of it. They're full of it. Um, Everybody's different what they want from a coach, so I think you just got to decide what you what you want. Um, you know, in terms of um, if I want to be coached at the moment, you know, all I really need is um, is a program to follow and just have that explained to me. I don't need any motivating or or, or anything like that. I just um, just want some you know some some tips and advice on where to go. Other people, if you're starting from scratch, then you're obviously going to need a lot more, and you have to find a coach that's um, willing to to offer you that. Um, yeah, the full the full Monty in terms of basically explaining the sport as well as giving you a program and possibly motivating you as well. So um, I think you just got to step back and ask what you you want from a coach first, and then go try to match. The, the question is, what makes a great coach? Mm. So I think, um, yeah, it's in terms of whether they have to be a good athlete or not. I certainly don't think they had to be because there's plenty of examples that people that that haven't been, uh, you know, Brett Sutton. Um, Darren Smith, guys like that. I don't know how yeah, whether Darren Smith was a was a high level athlete or not. Um, but there's lots of examples of guys that have not been um, high level athletes. So I don't think that's a prerequisite. But I certainly think that um, that is a, an extra bow to your string if you have been. I don't think you're, it's required. But I, I always get the feeling that if you haven't done an Ironman, um, then it's it's a little bit harder to understand um, what people are going through. And if you haven't been to Kona to actually understand what goes on in that race, um, at whatever level, I think it's um, that, that adds another bow to your string. Again, don't think it's a requirement. Um I don't know, Bevan, what do you think makes a great coach? I think there's a few facets, actually. I think um, I think that, that being the good athlete in the past definitely gives you credibility that you can sell. So, you know, if, I, if I'm looking for a coach and I know you've gone sub-nine as an Ironman compared to the guy up the road who's, you know, maybe never done anything, at first it's going to be a thing that's going to sell me a little bit more. But, you know, I remember at the gym there's a, a girl called Vanessa years ago who was this hugely overweight girl and she was the best personal trainer when it comes to getting results. And a lot of people would go... Well, I wouldn't even go to her. Look at her, you know, and mm. and and I could, could understand why that because you know obviously she didn't really preach what she kind of you know the, what the information she gave out. But to me, she was the best personal trainer at the gym because she got the best results. Like all her clients achieved massive results. So as a as a personal trainer, she was bloody brilliant. Now as her own health, she wasn't so good. But you know, so sometimes it's not always going to match up. I think there's a few things that a great coach has. I think the first thing is that they understand the needs of each individual athlete. And I think um, a bad coach tries to put everyone in a box that that coach has. They may have a system that they go to work or they may have certain ways they train that they think, you know, have to work out. And I think any coach figures out pretty early on that that's not going to work, that you really got to look at what are the needs of this athlete's life and, and what are some goals that I can help them realistically set and help them move towards. Because, you know, like 
of personal training, you know, I've worked in fitness my whole life and one of the classic things you come up against as, as a fitness professional is helping people get realistic expectations around goals and, uh, and I know for triathlon I imagine it's pretty tough because I imagine a lot of your clients John, will come up to you and go I want to do an Ironman and I've never mm. done anything and uh, and you know you've almost got to break them down a little bit to help them achieve successfully the path they want to go down and I know when you're personal training that first meeting you have with a client they'll, they'll go oh you know I've got you know I've got 10 hours a week to train and, and I've never done any exercise in their life before and so you know a good coach can actually understand the needs of their clients now I always think that like in fitness if you go to any gym all PTs should have a certain level of knowledge anyway now there'll be some people who are a bit more specialized in certain areas and uh, all the rest of it. but you know if you go to a coach there needs to be a certain level of understanding of you know the physiology you know the, how the body works in the, in the program you want so you, you want to make sure that the person you're choosing has that level of of knowledge and then I think that lastly do you actually get along with the person I do actually think that helps because if you want someone who's a good coach you, you're actually trying to build a relationship with that person and a good coach has that you know you have a relationship with them that, that you're working together as a team and I suppose the last point I'll have is that it's where do they come from as a coach and and you know the great the, the personal trainers like personal training if you look at the personal training industry it's hugely unsuccessful I think um, the average lifespan of a personal trainer is like 400 days it's a huge turnover rate and, and they aren't very successful and there's a lot of reasons for that first of all most people just start too young and they don't really have any life skills a lot of people have no business you know, business acumen about them. They don't really understand how to customer service and all those types of things. But also, they don't actually come from the right place of caring. And in the fitness industry, if you want to be successful, you've actually really got to care about your clients. And if you're going to choose a coach, you want that coach who you know, especially for something like an Ironman, which is such a big life commitment, is you want to choose a coach who you know cares about your journey and, and it's going to you know when you have those tough days it's going to kind of give you an email or or you know when they see you've had a great race it's going to give you a call and say look you've done really well so those little things that it kind of prop you up along the way so for me I think those things really count That's, I'd say if you're looking for a coach whether they be online local whatever you know um, think about you know maybe five things that you bullet points that you want from a coach and, and, and that's going to vary a lot from person to person and be straight up with the um the, the person you're going to deal with, uh, the coach, and say, this is what I'm looking for. And I know from my perspective, if someone came along and, and gave me that, I'd be going, this is perfect. And I'd say, yes, can do that, that, and that. Can't do that. And um, and you've got to get those things up front um, straight away and, and get a bit of honesty on from the from the front foot. So uh, hopefully that's helped. Well, I think one of it, just lastly, is they've got to be good at business. And, and, and like, sure, there's marketing and the rest of it around business, but I also think they have to be good at good time management. You know, yeah. are they the kind of person who says they're going to send you an email on Monday and actually get you that you know are they the kind of person who will always deliver your program on time all those little things you know like it's such an important goal for you if, if you know if your coach doesn't give you your program till Wednesday when you went to get it on Monday those little things make a big difference and, and you know you're paying for a service so do you think they'll have good customer service as well totally mm. this week's question John uh, yes, so this actually came from an email that came in from uh, Sam Newell, and he said his, his actual line was, my second question relates to the new age group ranking system. Could this be a move by WTC to eventually bring age group Kona qualifying in line with the pros, so that rather than getting age group slots by doing well in a single event, you would have to be a top ranked age grouper to qualify for Kona? 
Um, maybe they could bring this in over the next two years. This would mean age groupers possibly having to race more than one WTC race in one year. So what do you guys think about this? Do you think that WTC is angling to, to potentially do that? And if so, what do you think about it? What are the positives and what are the negatives? Mm. Okay, good times, rock and roll. Sponsor. Stream Endurance. We often go on and on about the uh, the, the main extreme endurance product, which we um, we love, and uh, but they have got plenty of other products there. The Extreme Omega 1000. Many people don't realize, but most of our debilita- debilitating diseases can be tr- uh, traced to an inflammatory cause. Inflammatory um, inflammation is what causes the pain of arthritis, the discomfort of allergies, and the wheezing of asthma and the stiffness from overusing your muscles. Um, so the Omega 1000 promotes cardiovascular health and wellness, reduces inflammation from arthritis and better joint function, promotes health skin, healthier skin and eyes, supports normal brain function, and benefits the immune system. So if you guys want anything from Extreme Endurance, just go on and use the code um, I am talk five. You get five bucks off uh, off any order. And if you've ever got any questions about any of the delivery or anything like that, um, just get on the website on Extreme Endurance and uh, pop them a question. They're always willing to help. Yeah, yeah. This stuff actually, you know, like this uh, Omega stuff is really, really good. You know, the anti-inflammatory with uh, that comes with mm. fish oils is you know pretty important part of your kind of your dietary way. So get it out, guys. Check it out. Xendurance.com. Okay, guys. So we've got an interview, John. Who is it? We've got cut first. Mahi Drysdale and uh, Daniel Plews. Now, the, the the connection we had with them, um, is, it's okay. It's just over a, a mobile sort of stick on their laptop because the day we called them, yeah, I don't think they, they had the greatest a, mic either. So. Had, they had a massive power cut in uh, Cambridge, which is where the high-performance uh, rowing centre is, and uh, the whole city was out for, for, for much of the day, and uh, and so we didn't have the greatest connection, but still, you can hear them okay, and um, yeah, here's Mahi and Daniel Plews. Good times, rock and roll. Here they go. Okay, um, today, Bevan, a bit of a special day because we have uh, two legends on the show. Legends? Yeah. We, wow. Um, first one who is an Olympic gold medalist. And well, that definitely is legendary. Five-time yeah. world champion so it's not, not in, that. In, in rowing. And then, but then secondly, and probably outweighs our first guest, is, uh, oh, really? <laughs> was last week named Age Grouper of the Week or Co-Age Grouper of the right. Week. That's yeah. right, so For his performance at Ironman New Zealand. So we've got, um, we've got Mahi Drysdale, who's the current Olympic champion for single scales rowing, and Daniel Plews, who's a sports physiologist with Rowing New Zealand, also was placed uh, third age grouper overall at Ironman New Zealand. So uh, welcome on to the show, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Good. So Mahi, I guess if we start with you, um, you know, we've, we've seen you... Uh, Popping up at a few different sporting events over the over the summer. What's what's the fascination with doing Ironman? Um, yeah, it's a, a good question. It was um, yeah, it was it was one of the challenges that I really wanted to do. And um, obviously, when I was I was sort of uh, working out what I was going to do this year, I thought, well, have a bit of time out, um, but I want to stay fit. Um, so I need to to have a couple of uh, challenges which are going to keep me fit. Uh, and uh, and keep me motivated to to keep training and um, so Ironman obviously fitted the bill perfectly and um, it's been yeah it's been a, a, a fun experience and uh, I don't know whether it'll be so fun on the day but um, <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to uh, getting out there and, and giving it a go. 
it, it's a pathetically weak fair pro field over there. So we think you, we think you've we're, got a chance. Our money's on you, mate. Yeah, you know, yeah, we, we, we've got we've got hope for you. At least be first off the bike. Yeah. But but um, we we saw at coast to coast, and I, I didn't wasn't there myself, but I saw in the results. You know, you you managed to to bridge up to the front group, and I'm imagining at your size, running is probably not your forte relative to. To, to triathletes and, and multi-sporters but um but uh is, is that right that you, you rode your way up to that that front group which included the likes of richard richard usher and some of the other big kahunas um i rode i rode up to the the second group actually so yeah there was a group about eight i think that um that stayed away from us but um yeah it was it was the transitions was a bit of a shock to me um <laughs> how they were so while I came into transition with them all, um, by the time I got on my bike, it was uh, you know I was 500 meters down the road. So yeah, it was um, quite a quite a uh, effort to try to try to bridge the gap. And um, I know 20 minutes into the race, I was thinking um, I really need to catch this group now because else I'm going to have a very very long day um, as I'm about to blow myself to pieces. But I did catch them uh, just in time, and then uh, sat on the back and had a little bit of a rest. Yeah. Daniel, you know you've um, you're obviously coached and advised lots of different athletes, but it, it, what's it like when you're advising someone who's new to the sport of Ironman, but is obviously you know a massively amazing machine as an athlete in different areas? How would you apply what your you know what your advice to Mahe in comparison to maybe to different other people? Well, I, I guess with, with Mahe, he's got you know he's he's got a really big engine, yeah. so his engine is really ready to. But unfortunately, his engines designed to row so it's all about um it's more about getting you know his it, almost his um his body can't take what his his engine would what want wants him to do so um it's all around just pre- pre- preparing him for the distance more than anything um that, if that makes if that makes sense has, has it been a bit of a worry for you in terms of um may getting injured in terms of the running because as you said you know he's so fit that he's you know, mm, he could just go out there and smash it for 5k um but he's got to learn how to to try to run a marathon has that been quite a challenge for you from a yeah you know, an advisory point of view um well yeah i guess he already is injured so <laughs> <laughs> well well slightly but yeah i mean it's all about um you know obviously the the toll that it takes takes having 100 kilograms um running a marathon it's um you know that that's definitely definitely always going to be a concern I guess it's all about um, building it up slowly, um, getting getting the getting the, vol- the volume right. So, um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, if you think about the impact that's that's going on there, mm. it's um, definitely going to be some tri- tricks um, tricks up the sleeve to pull it off properly. Hey, what, how are you finding the difference between um, you know a post to hard training session from triathlon in comparison to rowing? You know, is there much difference in the experiencing the experience you're feeling, or is it all pretty similar? Um, I, I'd say overall it's it's fairly similar. Um, it's the the difference is, is is you know like my muscles aren't aren't sort of conditioned to to be a runner or my my I've done quite a lot on the bike obviously um, or you know swimming and my my biggest problem is is you know I'm used to pushing myself and I'm used to pushing my limits uh, and when I try to do that in a sport that my body's not not used to doing uh then then i struggle and i know like some of the runs um you know it's, it's pretty hard for me to to have a uh, a light run as such um you know where i'm i'm just just uh you know cruising along and and 
and trying to just stay you know with, within my zones because I want to push myself and uh, and and that's where you know the the triathlon training that most of the sessions are longer than uh, what I'm I'm used to doing uh, in rowing you know, long sessions and rowing are, are um, well I guess up to three hours but it's it's pretty uncommon to be over sort of an hour and a half two hours. Mm-hmm. Well, are, are you missing you know because I imagine with rowing you, you you know it's a, a much more high intensity kind of peak end sport. Are you missing the buzz of that? Um, not really. Um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been nice to have a bit of a break and, and have a bit of a change. And, and, you know, most of our training, it is, it is aerobic, um, training. Uh, so, you know, that, that I guess has, has sort of transferred well across. Mm. I mean, I guess a lot of people are going to know that you're really strong on the bike. Um, what's your, what's your, maybe people don't, maybe people don't, but what's your swimming like? What are you, what are you hoping Uh, for? <laughs> yeah, my, my swimming's my swimming's okay. Um, you know, it's it's really I can I can get through it, um, and and you know that's uh, I, I'd say I'll, I'm not going to be uh, anywhere near the leaders uh, coming off the swim. But um, yeah, the bike the bike should be um, you know one of my most strong points, and then I've just got to battle through a marathon. So, so Daniel, you, you've um, you know, I know you're, you're primarily focused with the uh, with the, the rowing team, but I'm sure you, well, given you're a sports scientist, I'm assuming you probably uh, are pretty engrossed in, in power numbers and all that sort of stuff. You know, how does Mahi's um, obviously he's a, he's a big unit, but how do his sort of uh, numbers stack up on, on the cycling front? Oh well, well I mean, because obviously Mahi did a lot of cycling in his um, when he was built to the Olympics, and he did um, for that we had it we had an SRM on him for nearly all the sessions and yeah certainly in terms of a raw power number you 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 know Mahe will you generally sit on uh, 400 watts for an hour mm-hmm. um which anyone knows what that means it's pretty yeah. it's pretty it's a hundred, about 100, 100 over 100 <laughs> watts more than me yeah it's not it's not too shabby <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah there's a lot and that's what that's what's more important in rowing rather than power to weight it's that raw power figure which you know which translates quite well into the boat so um so yeah, there's yeah definitely. Well, thinking power to weight, I think I can take him. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's all that matters. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I sit next to the cyclists and I'm uh, yeah 100 150 watts higher than them. I can hold that, um, but you know you get to you get to going up a hill and uh, and they just go away from you and they're they're doing you. Know, 150 watts less than you it's a bit demoralizing yeah breaks your heart (laughs) hey mate you know like obviously you've been you know one of the world's best athletes in your sport for a long period of time and uh you know after the olympics and getting that gold medal was obviously an amazing achievement why was it important to have a year you know some time off and actually do some other stuff you know why was that important for you to you know in your athletic career um, yeah, it's, it's been, um, you know, more than anything, a, a sort of mental break. And, you know, I've, I've been training in, in the sport of rowing for uh, the past 12 years. And in that time, you know, the biggest breaks kind of uh, two months. So, yeah. you know, it was, it was important to just have a bit of a break to mentally and physically recuperate. But, you know, it's also to do these different challenges. You know, you learn, you learn stuff about yourself. And, you know, I know coast to coast, you know, being being capable of going for fourteen hours, um, you know, I, was, I never thought I'd, I'd be able to do something like that. Um, mm. So, you know, and and learning from that, is, there's there's still things to be learned along the way. And how's your um, how's your back coping with the training? Because in, in New Zealand, you know, overseas listeners won't know about this, but you know, we heard a lot about your back leading into the Olympics and the fact you have to do a lot of cycle training now. How's that coping with the uh, the triathlon training? Um, yeah, it's pretty good actually. Um, you know, my my 
worst position is going into extension. Mm. Um, and fortunately, I don't have to do too much of that, um, you know, with with any of uh, the disciplines, um, you know, with with triathlon. So I'd say that the most problems I have with my back is when I'm swimming, um, and and it's it's not bad at all. So you know, overall, my back is is in a lot better position than it was uh, when I was uh, training for for rowing full time. Mm. Hey, what are, what are some of the um the, the differences in cultures that you're finding? You know, between the groups of people. You know, obviously rowing's got its own little culture, which you know we probably don't know what that is. And in triathlon, we have our own little our quirky things and the good things about our culture. Are you noticing the differences between the cultures? And if so, what are some maybe the funny things and the strong things about different cultures? Um, yeah, I, I guess I, like to be honest, I, I haven't had too much chance to to mix, um, you know, between between the uh, the sports too much. Um, obviously, I've been to a few sort of open water swims, and um, you know, I, I guess we've got Candice Hammond, um, you know, around our yeah. area locally. Um, but you know, in saying that, she's she's from the the rowing background as well. So, um, you know, I think I think definitely that that uh, work ethic and and you know, just the hours training. Um, is something that's that's different, um, and yeah, I think they're probably overall. They're, you know, I'm, I'm a, an individual athlete as such, but I think they're probably um, you know they motivate themselves a lot better uh, to be out there doing this thing, this stuff like the training they do by themselves is um, you know a pretty incredible effort, and I, I don't know if I'd uh, I'd handle that on a day to day basis. What about um, you know rowing versus triathlon as a uh, as a career because we we bitch and moan about um, the pros not being able to earn enough money or anything like that. But what's the situation in rowing? We know that you know you're an Olympic champion. You probably get a reasonable amount from rowing New Zealand. Um, but I, I'm picking you're probably not making a gazillion million dollars. What, what about for that sort of next group down? You know, say guys that are you know making finals at world championships and things like that. How the hell do those guys get by? Um, yeah, we're, we're fortunate in, in the fact that we've got high performance um, Sport New Zealand funding. So, so all the athletes are on pegs funding, and you know, so that that really is, uh, you know, for that that next tier down, um, you know, they they can be looking if they're making an A final, you know, around that forty forty five grand a year. Yeah. Um, so that that's really, and that to be honest is is about all they have the opportunity to make. There's no prize mm-hmm. money. There's no. Um, there's no other, uh, you know, appearance fees or anything like that. So, you know, that's that's fairly much what they're they're limited to. Um, so, you know, it's 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 tough. Um, but you know, it's we I guess we still consider ourselves very much an amateur sport, and we are we are very fortunate in the fact that um, probably like the the sprint tries, um, you know, we are funded by High Performance Sport New Zealand. So some of our costs with travel and um, and accommodation and etc. overseas is taken care of, which certainly makes things a lot easier. Yeah. Mm. Um, so Daniel, you've, you obviously you're a sports physiologist. You, you sit, you know, you're looking at all these different files all the time. You know, are you seeing much of a change in, in Mahi's sort of fitness profile since he started doing tri training versus rowing training, or is it uh, more or less stayed the same? No, uh, yeah, it's more, more or less. I mean, obviously, most of my monitoring of Mahi was you know leading up to the Olympics when he's at his um, his, his very best and his. Um, I think he'll agree that he's by no means in the sort of shape now as he was just before he won that um, Olympic gold medal. So it's really difficult to kind of answer that, <laughs> answer that question. Really. Mm-hmm. 
So, so Mahi, I mean, how much training are you doing? Are you, we know you, you do a lot of um, public appearances and we see you, you know, out and about on the TV. Um, you know, how much uh, try training are you actually doing? Are you a full-time athlete or have you got, uh, you're still doing, you know, bit, got your hand in the rowing? Um, yeah, I'm, I've, I've been doing a bit of rowing and that's, that's actually been a, bit, a little bit forced upon me, um, you know, with, with injuries. So, you know, I'm probably, probably averaging about 15 hours a week, um, which is not as much as I would have liked to be doing um, and not quite as much as I would have been doing for rowing. But, um, you know, it's, it's been with, with obviously time constraints and then, uh, you yeah, a few injury um, concerns along the way, which has uh, limited my training, which has been a little bit unfortunate. May, um, you know, um, we often talk about how New Zealand athletes, if they, you know, they get to the level of the Olympic gold, how, you know, you become a very well-known household name in New Zealand. And a lot of our listeners like Hamish Carter, they know Hamish Carter was an Olympic winner, but they don't recognise how in New Zealand, if you can win the Olympic gold, you're kind of, you know, everyone knows you. What was it like going from, you know, being the athlete who was already pretty well known, but going to that next level of exposure? And what's it like in New Zealand handling that exposure in a day-to-day way? Um, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy to be honest. Um, obviously, uh, you know, like New Zealand, I was, I was fairly well known before. So, you know, at home it didn't change too much, but but there was a, a massive hype around the Olympics, and and obviously, you know, that was with the success right across, um, you know, all sports, which was absolutely fantastic. So, it was, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic to to be involved in that. But probably where I noticed it the most is, you know, an Olympic. Uh, gold medal is is sort of uh, transcended across the world and um and that's where i've noticed it more than than anywhere you know although i was a world champion before um everyone's kind of like world champion whereas you know olympic champion they all sort of take note and uh yeah I've, i uh, i got invited to go to sri lanka um you know just completely out of the blue some really? guy emailed me and said look come to sri lanka and when i got there i get was given the full royal treatment with red carpets and police escorts and um, billboards, and yeah, you know, they were saying you're you're the first Olympic champion that we know of that's been in Sri Lanka. And, really? Um, yeah, you kind of like I was just like blown away. And um, yeah, every time they're rolling out a red carpet, I'm asking them who that for, that's for, and uh, they said, oh, that's for you. And uh, you know, it's, it sort of it made me uh, think, wow, this is um, this is pretty awesome. Can I can I ask uh, on that kind of fame level, what's it like to know? You know, and I'm sure you're not you're not consciously walking around thinking about this stuff, but to kind of walk down a street knowing that probably everyone knows you. Um, yeah, it is a bit weird, and uh, you know, some people come up to introduce you and uh, uh, introduce themselves, and you're kind of looking at them, kind of, you know, do, do I actually yeah. know you? And they're like, you don't actually know me, and you're like, oh, that's yeah, that's good because I, you know, you sort of you're not sure, um, you know, whether you, you're supposed to recognise them or not, and um, you know, it's it's been really nice. I think New Zealanders are pretty low key and. You know, really, um, it's great to to have that support and and meet. Run out of data. So many people has been awesome. Cool. Um, so in terms of expectations around Port Macquarie, you know, everybody loves to hear times and things like that. Or, or are you just going over there to finish, or have you got uh, you want to put some smackdown talk um, before you go into it? <laughs> Going for the win. Smackdown talk. <laughs> well, Dan did what nine twenty or something. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he set the benchmark pretty high. No, I won't be uh, won't be uh, matching that. But um, yeah, it's it's something definitely. The the first goal is to complete. It's it's quite a hard thing for me. Um, you know, I'm a competitive person, and and going from you know usually being right up the front of the field, and and I've got to you know reset my goals to know that. 
that that's not actually um, going to happen here. So, you know, that's that's been um, you know quite hard work. And, and to be honest, I really don't know exactly what I'm capable of because I've never you know I've never run a marathon, let alone run a marathon after doing uh, you know about six six hours before I've even got to that point. So, um, you know, it's, it is quite hard to to figure out exactly. But I'd say my time will be at the very best around 10 hours and hopefully at the very worst around 12 hours so there's a there's a big ballpark <laughs> Dan uh, you're, you're obviously a bit more experienced in the uh, the iron world uh, is, is Mahi talking out his ass or is it, <laughs> or what, what do you think he's capable of I've only done one Ironman if I'm with you <laughs> beg your pardon I've only done one Ironman so not massively experienced oh my goodness <laughs> jeez you cracked the first yeah, one that's yeah, alright retire now <laughs> get up <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, I, I said to Mahe before. It's all about we have to just work out what um, what his pace is, what we think are realistic paces for his um, bike and run, and then he's got to um, really be very diligent in sticking to what he what we've said he can do. Because if it's always it's always too easy, you know. I experienced it myself is that you always feel so good at the start of the marathon, at the start of the bike, and you're just questioning, you know, I can go faster than this, I can go faster than this, but it always. Inevitably, it will end um, very badly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we just got to make sure we get those paces right, and then he's um, strict on what 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 he that he sticks to them. Well, you obviously, you know, and you saying you have you had your first Ironman and you finished third age grouper overall. What was the um, the secret to, to success on your day? Um, I think um, having a having a good bit of knowledge around. You know, I, I've done a lot of triathlon in my life, like a hell of a lot of triathlon, um, but. Um, but yeah, it's um, I guess I guess just knowing knowing having a having a good race plan in my mind, and then really I just didn't I, whatever whatever happened I just would not move away from it, and it ended up to be quite you know quite well. So I knew exactly what I wanted to swim, I knew exactly the power I wanted to sit on the bike, I knew exactly when I was going to take my fees, I knew exactly what I wanted to run, um, my paces on the run, and I um, and I and I didn't deviate from it at all, and it was um, it worked out to be quite well. Yeah. Mate, could I ask? Um you know, like if you think about your your time leading up to all your rowing goals, it's a very intense kind of, you know, trying to be that best version of yourself kind of experience, um, which drives people like yourself. What's it like to then go into a year where it's more probably about just experiencing sport? Sure, there's challenges within it, but, you know, it's probably more just, hey, I'm going to have this fun experience around doing some Ironman. What's that, what's that shift like for you? Um, yeah, it's, it's been, I've actually, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed it, um, but it, it hasn't always been easy. Um you know, like, as I said before, like, going from being at the, the front of the field to, um, you know, being someone that's basically, you know, there to make up the numbers, um, yeah. you know, which is just, just getting through it. Um, and, you know, and probably before in my life, I would have never taken on anything that I didn't think I could do well at. Um, and so this has been a nice change and, and probably shows me that, you know, I can actually really enjoy sport um, without, uh, you know, having that competitive nature with, without having that, you know, I've, I've got to win this thing. Um, and, and so that's, that's really nice, I guess, for knowing that, you know, I've probably only got another um, three or four years of me in rowing, um, that, that there is uh, life afterwards and, and I can enjoy, um, you know, going and, and uh, doing different challenges. What, what fears do you have around the race? Do you have, like, obviously when you're going for Olympic gold, there's some, it's a totally different kind of pressure, but do you have any fears going into an Ironman? Um, yeah, I have quite a lot of fears. Actually. <laughs> um, it's it's one of those things. Like I, I guess none of the distances scare me in themselves. Um, 
but you know putting them all together is just that that unknown and and uh, you know, I, I guess my biggest fear is is not being able to do it. Um, you know, not being able to complete it, and uh, that that. Uh, but that also creates the challenge um, and and makes it something that um, you know that that drives me to to do everything I can and and on the day to to do the best I can. And I, I think you know I'm, I'm hoping I'll thrive on having so many people around. Um, you know, because I, I know that that at coast to coast uh, that certainly helped that. You know that little competitive spirit where you just see someone in front of you and you want to pass them, and that sort of just helps uh, bide the time a, a wee bit. Um, you know, because it's a, a long day out. So, if uh, if any Aussies are listening and uh, and they're, they're watching the race, what, what what sort of an outfit are we going to see you out there? And so they know know who to, know, know who to look for a big hundred uh, kg unit coming yeah. past. What are, what are you wearing? It's a happily debated conversation at my house between him and his girlfriend. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Every evening it was quite it was quite hilarious. I'm I'm trying to push him for the two piece. Yeah, um, <laughs> we've got we've got Dan and uh, everyone. Sort of, it sounds like the two piece is uh, is the way to go for practicality. But uh, Juliet thinks looks wise, I've I've got to go for the one piece. <laughs> Mate, I'm thinking old school. Go speedos. Yeah. Speedos. <laughs> well, well, they, well, they they completed the first one in uh, cut off jean shorts. So um, yeah. yeah, maybe maybe we'll go for the retro look. Bringing it back. Or you could do the John Hallamans uh, technique where you actually go and woman and, and woman swing top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, guys, thanks very much for your time. We know you've had difficulties there today, and um, up up north in Cambridge, and you're going to be in. You're going to you're going to have. It's going to be the triathlon centre of the world in a few yeah, years' time. Is, the high performance it? program moving up there. But um, uh, have a great time over in um, over in Australia. And Daniel, we also had a thank you um, email in today from uh, Richard Speedwalker Swan, who was very grateful you didn't take, didn't take your slot. You didn't take a cone of slot, and it rolled down to him. So he, he wanted to say a thank you for, for that as well. Well, well <laughs> my pleasure. What can I say? And uh, we'll see. Are you, you going to race again next year in 2014? Um, maybe not the um, Ironman. I'll, I'll be doing um, probably do some of the halves, maybe. Tapo half in the 70.3 in Auckland, I think. John's happy. John's happy. No, Another competitor to go on. I've scared him off. I've scared him off, Evan. Scared him. Hey, um, look, guys, thanks very much for your time and um, yeah, good luck champions, with guys. your race. Yeah, thanks for your time. All right, thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, John, what do you think of the interview? Um, a little bit of follow-up. Um, one question we didn't ask, the, the, the hooks were being put out there was about Mahi talking about his injury. So I checked that out with Daniel and uh, he's just he's had some shin problems, not shin splints, but just um, some shin problems which has affected his run training um, fairly significantly. So oh, okay. I think he's quite in the, in the right run shape that he wants to be. But um, yeah, no, I'm just really interested to see how he goes because uh, the coast-to-coast, coast, you know, he probably didn't get to un- really unleash his bike because um, the coast-to-coast coast is very much drafting on on the bike and uh and that run probably wouldn't have suited a bigger guy like him either so um yeah and i'll be interested to see how he goes and how he contains himself he's obviously got a power meter so he should be able to contain things on the bike but um oh man he's um he would be an incredibly fit guy i'm curious you know you look at someone like mahe who has come from a sport where there's not a lot of impact you know he's done his rowing and then after his injury he did a lot of cycling and his body's not used to that impact and obviously you know the shins maybe the effect mm. of you know especially trying to aim for a marathon you know as fit as you can be impacts a lot harder on the body well, do you find a lot of guys who just have been swim kids who then come into triathlon get injured pretty quickly oh yeah, yeah really big time big time really yeah yeah very very common is it funny so. watching their, their physiology change as well i mean um you know like do you, to watch their um their body shapes change 
you know, from the swimmers, because mm. swimmers tend to be a little bit softer. And, yeah. then, and then you see them, do they, as they come to triathletes, do they get that kind of mean, lean look happening? Yeah, they do, but it's one of those things when you see people on a daily basis or very, very regularly, you don't really notice those changes so much. It's, yeah. just, it's more as if you see them one year and you see them three years later, then you, you notice a pretty big difference. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you notice too much on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Sorry to shoot you down there, Bevan. I well, know. No, I was, I'm just curious. You know, you know, you're, yeah. you know, you're the online coach. You know, exactly. <laughs> just money grabbing. <laughs> okay. Uh, next, uh, next interview. Oh no, sponsor. Athlinks.com. Yes. So, one thing about Athlinks, you can go out and check out your local competitions. So whenever I log on to Athlinks, um, down the bottom of the page, it has uh, has some local people that, that are racing, and you can go on and you can search for whoever you want. You got to remember when you're searching on Athlinks, I've got the little tab along the top, and you can search results or members or events and and so on. And you put when up Tim I, Valentine. Yeah, well, I just went on there. Tim Valentine apparently listens to the show. Apparently, he's following my my bike training. Um, but you can basically go on there and just suss out your competition in, in whatever length you want to. So if you've ever got anybody in your local area and, uh, and you're thinking, I wonder what that guy, you know, he may have beaten you at a race or something and you want to go check them out, you know, you have to troll through a gazillion different websites to find all their results. But hopefully they'll be on Athlinks and you can go on here and you can actually just go and check it out. So if Tim Valentine, he's thankfully he's not in my age group, he's 32, but he's from Christchurch and he did Ironman New Zealand, 957.54, sub 10, nice work. Yep, and that was a half hour improvement from uh, Melbourne the year before, which is a much quicker course, yeah, so yeah, nice work there. But you can basically go through there. He's got 28 results listed up there. I can suss out all his details, know where his, do the old macker, know where his strengths and weaknesses lie and so next time you go out there you can race and you can absolutely crush them so use athletes as a bit of a uh, bit of a research tool in terms of your competitors John I think the thing where it would be really great like in Christchurch the triathlon community is pretty small and, and I'm sure if Tim didn't have a photo of a cow on his, his athletes page <laughs> you'd probably be able to recognise his face but you know in places like in New York or, or London or these big cities where you know you might be aiming to get an age group slot in some race or just do really well in your race there's so many competitors that you you know you don't really know who you're competing against. You know you could go on Athlinks, you could check out. Okay, these names seem to pop up at the top of the age groups. You know, and you, you can kind of figure out who you are really competing against and how you can race smarter against those people based on that information. Did you do the sprint or the Olympic down in uh, Queenstown at Christmas? I did the sprint. Uh huh. See, so Tim would have taken you down the Olympic if you'd done that. Oh, really? Two twenty? <laughs> I think I could have done a two twenty. <laughs> Oh, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Anyway, check it all out. Athlinks. You got tenth. You got tenth in that race. There you go. Top ten. Twice. Nice. So twice Hubbard did two ten. Yeah. Oh, maybe it wouldn't have done two twenty. Based on Tim, current form. Tim, you would have had him. You would have had him. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm not, I'm not giving that much. Jeeves, mate, calm down. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. So check check it all out. Athlinks.com. Check it out for your. In-depth analysis of your competitors. Good times, rock and roll. Okay, John, but we'll see our next interview. Who we got? Got Adam Otstot. Uh, so this was sent through from uh, Rob Green, who is in Richmond, Virginia, and thought that Adam's uh, a good, worthy um, person to have on the show. You know, um, great um, age grouper and uh, has turned pro. And his times are pretty impressive in terms of age group times. So it's interesting to hear Adam um, talk about the, the step in terms of um, – whilst racing in the pro division he's uh, not going to be racing um, full time or training full time to make it as a, as a living and we've got to respect that um, some people are going to do that so racing as a pro does not always mean that you are actually a professional athlete no no here we go here's uh, here, here is Adam 
Right, on today's show we get a lot of requests to have um, guys that are elite age groupers or, or new pros sort of coming on the show and figuring out um, how the hell they, they got to being so fast. So today we've got Adam Otstotz. So welcome along to the show, Adam. Thank you for having me. No problem. So you're making um, a bit of inroads there. We, we, Rob Green from uh, Active Chiropractic sent us through some some details about yourself. Um, first amateur at Ironman Texas in 8.51, which is not too shabby a time. Um, top American amateur in Kona. Um, seventh American overall, in, including the pros, in 9.12 with a 2.58 smoke and marathon, which is outstanding. Um, so, yeah, I guess my first question for you, what's your, you know, often we, we hear about pros coming in and they might have some amazing background in swim, bike or run or, or some endurance sort of sport. So what's your sort of, um, your background prior to coming into Ironman? Well, I was definitely a runner growing up. I uh, started running in uh, high school and then I ran in college. So I was 100% runner, didn't think about swimming one second when I was a younger kid and um actually didn't think about swimming until I turned about 24 years of age. And then when I <clears throat> decided to get into triathlon, I decided, well, I need to learn how to swim. So got with that uh, as best as I could. But I definitely do not consider myself a swimmer by any means. Definitely a runner. And, and so um, in terms of your, your running first, um, what, what, was your, what was your event and what, was, um, what sort of level did you get to with your running? Well, I, I ran mainly the 5K and the steeplechase in college. Um, I was conference champion in the steeplechase, and I made it to the, the regional meet, NCAA regionals. Um, I didn't never cr- quite crack that, uh, that national level in running, which is one of the reasons why I got into triathlon. Um, I ran about 9.08 in the mm. steeple yeah. and 14.25 in the 5K. 14.25, nice. I was happy with, but uh, it's not quite the level that you can continue on with yeah. as collegiately and be competitive as you know a professional or make money doing that kind of thing. So um, I wanted to get into marathoning after college and put in the high miles, but kept getting some soft tissue injuries and um, had a bike. So I was cross-training on the bike, and then eventually I was – cross training on the bike so much that I decided that I might as well do a duathlon and see how I could roll and yeah. and that's kind of what led me into triathlon. And, and so obviously you know 2013 now how, how long have you been involved in triathlon to get yourself down to, to 851? Well I started triathlon in 2005 in fall of 2005 and of course I didn't jump into an Ironman at that point. Uh, my first Ironman was 2007 in Ironman Louisville and then um, the Ironman World Championships was my fifth Ironman. So Texas would have been my fourth, right? So what was your progression like in terms of your, your first to, your, um, to, to where you are currently? My first Ironman, I went 9.48 in Louisville. Yeah. I was second in my age group there. I think I was about 25th overall, um, which I was extremely pleased with. Nice. And then I went to Ironman Arizona in 2008. And went nine twelve, much faster course there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went to Hawaii the year after that. Uh, qualified for Kona in Arizona and went nine twenty seven in Hawaii and was eleventh in the twenty five to twenty nine age group. Um, I mean, Ironman Hawaii is a whole different beast when you're talking about competing in your age group. Yeah. So 
Um, I was I, I went into the race with grand plans of placing in my age group, and I realized quite quickly that uh, I wasn't quite at that level yet. So I kind of went back to the drawing board and went to work for a couple of years, and then uh, last year decided to give another go at it and went to Texas to try to qualify and. Um, it was evident that I had made some some good progress, and so won my age group there, and then went to Hawaii again last year, and was able to kind of do what I set out to do back in 2009, which was to place in my age group. So, so you you have a good Hawaii last year, and so was it always the goal leading towards turning pro, or is it just as time's gone along and you've progressed more, you've kind of thought, well, maybe there's an opportunity for me to head down that path. Well, I've always had ambitions of racing professional in triathlon but I I didn't want to jump into it too soon I mean I knew that back in 2009 um, placing 11th in my age group was not um, although I had done races that would have qualified me to turn professional at that point um, I didn't want to turn professional and just get completely blown out of the water I wanted to be um I wanted my fitness to be respectable enough where I could be competitive in a professional field, you know, maybe not win a race, but um, certainly be able to hold my own. So um, I kind of wanted to to wait and keep progressing as an athlete before I decided to make that jump. And it took a couple of years, but I'm comfortable with where I'm at now. And I feel like, um, especially in some of these more regional professional races, you know, I can mix it up with, with a lot of the field. So, so in, in the States, obviously we've got a, you know, very much a global audience. What do you need to do to um, become pro? B- b- basically get a, get a pro license other than pay WTC $750? Right. Well, the USAT has six qualifying standards. Uh, I, I don't know what all six of them are. I know one of them is being in the top 10 amateurs in Ironman Hawaii, which I met last year, which was nice. Uh, another is to be in the top three amateurs overall in a race that has a prize purse of, uh, I believe, over $50,000. There's one that you have to finish within 8% of the winner's time in a race that has more than a certain number of people in it. Um, So there there are different ways that you can go about doing it. I know that uh, there are a couple short course qualifying criteria as well that um, some of the, the college athletes can meet. Um, or po- post-collegiate athletes that are still racing short course. Um, so I was able to meet two out of the six, and I felt pretty comfortable with that. <clears throat> and how many, do you, do you only have to meet one criteria, or do you have to meet a certain number? Yeah, just one. Just one. Mm. So, I mean, there's, there's obviously two ways. You're looking at, at racing pro. Um, for you, you know, there's one thing to be racing in the pro division, and um, and there's two to be actually be racing as a professional where you are actually trying to make this your living. So where do you sort of fall in, in that bracket? Are you still going to be working full-time and then just racing as a pro um, in the pro division, or are you actually, you know, cutting right back on your work and actually trying to make a living out of this? Right, yeah, I, I would definitely fall into the first category. Um, racing professional for me is a personal challenge. It's um, kind of a next progression in terms of um, my growth as as a, a person and as an athlete. Uh, I've got no um, grand illusions at the age of 30, almost 31, that I'm going to quit my job and, and start racing professional full-time. Um, I feel like as a teacher... I'm, I've got the flexible schedule where I'm still able to train a tremendous amount as it is 
And, and I actually like the balance of teaching and, and training. I think um, for me personally, having that balance in my life is really important. And if I was to, to drop everything and just train full time, sure, I mean, um, I may be able to, to make more progress. Um, but mentally and, and financially, um, I'm just not uh, ready to make that, that jump right now. So, um, I mean, this is all good and well, but I believe that uh, I b- very much like uh, Rob Green, um, who's just had a baby arrive. Am I right that you're, you're, you guys are about to have a baby? Yeah, the due date is on Thursday. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, Any moment. So this winter and spring has been, um, I mean, I, I've been training great, but uh, in terms of racing, I've, I've kind of... Uh, blocked off a certain amount of time that that i won't be jumping in any races especially far away from williamsburg because I, I need to be here for the baby yeah exactly how, how do you manage that you know like if you know being a pro athlete is pretty challenging in itself and being a working pro athlete's another level and and obviously there's compromises you make because of the financial and, and the career you're going to maintain but then when you add a baby into the equation right. um, you know like that's such a a um you know, it's such a big life change in itself. So how do you think you're going to manage the balancing of all three of those things? Oh, man, that is the million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You don't I know mean, yet. Incredibly supportive, and, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna to work through it, and I'm sure that there are going to be challenges. I'm sure that the schedule that I'm used to holding in terms of training and racing is going to be flipped completely upside down. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty... Um, I'm pretty flexible, and I think that we can. I can make it work for sure. Um, going out of your comfort zone is sometimes a good thing when you're when you're training. Doing things that you're not used to doing sometimes helps make that next jump. So as long as I can stay on top of my recovery, which I think is the big thing, um, I, I think that I'll be all right. So you know, um, you talked a bit about your flexible schedule with a teacher, um, being a teacher. What's your sort of um, your training regime? You know, do you put yourself in the the category that you're, you know, similar to what you see in the books and stuff like that, or do you do things quite differently to what maybe the the, the, the traditional triathlon program follows, if there is such a thing? <laughs> um, well, there are a lot of programs out there. I, I mean, I would say that I would say I'm relatively traditional when it comes to that. I mean, uh, I co- I'm self coached. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason I'm self-coached. I mean, I, I really believe in recovery. Um, I think that recovery is is the the key to to becoming a better athlete. And I think that um, a couple people I know, Matt Dixon. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with Matt Dixon of Purple Patch. I mean, he's a real big believer in recovery. Um, so, you know, when it comes to my training, I can follow the the training stress score, and I can follow uh, a plan that I've laid out for myself, which is all great. But if I wake up one morning and I'm completely trashed and my legs, you know, just don't have it, then, you know, I'm going to give myself an easier day that day and and make sure that I'm ready to hit the next workout hard. Um, I'd say in general, you know, getting out there and doing the miles is kind of my bread and butter. Um, I don't do a whole lot of fancy stuff when it comes to training. It's, it's pretty boring. It's pretty repetitive. But as long as I can get out there consistently and do it, you see progress over time. So, so how many hours roughly are you, are you training a week? Well, right now, um, I'm between about 16 to 20 hours a week. That's, mm-hmm. that's generally where I stay. 
Um, if I'm getting ready for an Ironman, I'll kind of push that 20 to 25 hours. Um, very few weeks around 25 hours, but um, I'd say on average probably about 20 hours um, a week on an Ironman build. And then in the off season, anywhere between about 10 to 15 hours. I don't fall below 10 too often. Well, it's about where I'm sitting at the moment, 10 to 12. <laughs> so we've got to pick things up. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of number of sessions per sport each week, like do you have, uh, you talked about recovery. What's your sort of secrets to recovery? You, you, you said that, you know, if you're feeling really off, you'll have an easier day. But do you like, do you have one day off a week? Do you have a swim only day? Do you have two days off a week? How do you, how do you work your recovery? I do my, I, one day a week, I just swim one day. Um, it's an easier swim just to kind of get the blood flowing a little bit and uh, promote that recovery. So one day a week, it's always just one swim. And then, uh, if everything else goes all right, then the, the other six days are, I hit pretty hard. Um, in, in, but I find that, that one day makes a big difference. And I also, uh, in terms of scheduling, I generally schedule my long run and my long bike, um, not on consecutive days. I did that for a little while and, it just wrecked my legs um, to do the long run after the long bike week after week after week. So I generally put at least two days in between those two workouts, and uh, that has helped me quite a bit. Any, um, have you got any real super favorite sessions that you do? You know, you do say you're, say you're in an Ironman build up, and um, you know you might have an, an X number of key sessions. Any any of your super favorites you want to share? Um, well, I've got a couple that, uh, that I always go to. The one is just a long bike. I'll do like a 30 minute warm up, and then I'll do, um, like four times 45 minutes at Ironman race pace or Ironman power, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then 15 minutes at half Ironman power and then five minute recovery. Um, and then just a little bit of a cool down that, that generally, uh, is pretty good. That's a staple bike workout for me. And then um, I also do a long brick where I'll do a 40 mile bike ride at half Ironman power and then get off the bike and run about a 20 to 21 mile long run at Ironman race pace. I'll do that about five to six weeks before the Ironman. And uh, that that's generally a pretty good predictor workout for me. Nice. So, so when you when you go to Kona, you know that's obviously a different race, um, and you're and you're compete going there to to compete for for the age group, and obviously over there, you know, very very competitive, a lot of congestion on the bike, and a, a lot of guys that are new to power, um, they, they they struggle to to be able to stick to their zones when people are zipping all over the all over the place in that race in particular. Um, how did you when you had your great race in Kona? How did you sort of pace yourself on the bike? Were you steering at your power meter, just thinking I'm sticking at this zone? Were you trying to ride with other people? How how did you sort of work your way through the bike ride? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean. I- I think to some extent you can't just keep your head down and look at the numbers the entire time because the race will just go right by you You know, if you do that. Uh, you have to pay attention to the race. Um, I think in general I've got a range. You know, in, in Hawaii for me, I wanted to be somewhere between 250 to 260 watts on average. And I knew at the very beginning it was going to be a little bit more than that getting out and kind of getting a spot in the in the line of bikes um and i knew going up the hill to javi it was probably going to be crazy and i'd probably have to put in a pretty big effort just to climb that hill and coming down i'd be able to coast a little bit but um you know in hawaii if you 
if you let one guy go, then the next guy goes, and the next guy goes, and all of a sudden you're just like freewheeling because you can't you can't keep pedaling when these guys are pulling in front of you because otherwise you're just going to be drafting them, right? So you kind of have to stand up for yourself a little bit, and and that means in some spots you just kind of have to put out a little bit more power than than maybe you would normally do if you were all by yourself. Mm. Um, so there's a little balance there, and it is tough. I mean. <laughs> People think that Ironman Hawaii, you know, I don't know. There, there are a lot of guys out there that can ride fast, and it's it's tricky to have a good bike ride there. I think yeah. without overcooking it. Good, you know, like you've you know you've been racing as an age grouper for a while, and you've been pretty successful as an age grouper. What are the challenges that you see um, coming up that, that changed as you turn into a pro? You know, what are the things that make the racing different now that you you're kind of racing in a different category? Uh in terms of the age group? No, it just says now that you're racing pro, you know, what are the different challenges you'll, you'll be presented with that maybe you hadn't considered before? Yeah, I mean, I think as a pro, certainly the, the swimming is going to be way more important for me. Um, I think as an age grouper, I could kind of get away with having a mediocre swim and then using my bike and my run to work my way up the field. Um, I mean, pros don't have that weakness. Uh, you can't you can't not be good at one of the three events and still be successful as a pro. So, uh, you know, I'm really going to have to work on my swim and my bike really to stay in the race so that when I get to the run, I'll be in the race. Mm. Um, Cause if you give guys 10 minutes on the swim and the bike, you won't ever see them again. I mean, they're not going to be coming back to you on the run. Mm. So certainly paying attention to my swimming and working on getting my swim as fast as I can to be, as in as best of a position as I can is going to be probably the most important thing for me. Um, I guess the other thing in terms of a pro race, and, and it's hard to say right now because I haven't had a whole lot of experience racing in the pro races, but I think the bike ride is going to be slightly less of a look at my power meter and see what my power is doing and more of a this is a race and if a group of guys goes by me, I need to figure out how to go with them and kind of throw caution to the wind a little bit. And um, I think that's how you make a big breakthrough as a pro. You take a chance and, you know, if you want to average 280 watts on the bike and you end up averaging 300 and you get on the run, that's where you figure out what you can do. And um, I think that taking those risks is a big part of the pro race. And Sometimes you don't have to do that in the age group race. Sometimes you can more or less stick to your plan in the age group race and still be all right. Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, Rob said about you, you know, you're a very um, humble guy and, um, and often go out there and, and just, just do the business. And, and when, when you're out there racing, when, when you have been out there racing as an, an age grouper, um, you know, I, I fall into this category sometimes. I just riding along, and I'm just shaking my head at, at some of the pacing and plans that some people have got. What What are some of the key mistakes you see um, age groupers making out there, and, and guys that are, you know, you're you're a really successful age grouper, and I'm sure you've raced against a lot of guys who are just exploding all over the place. Um, but what what do you think some of the keys to to your success have been? Um, well, in terms of long course, I think. Nutrition has been really important for me. I mean, I've fortunately I have an iron stomach, but I've been really on top of keeping on um, getting my nutrition in, and that's that's been like one of my keys in long course racing. So that's something that I've never had to really be concerned about in terms of not having enough energy towards the latter stages of a race. 
Um, and I, I think bike pacing has also been something that I've been successful at, not going out too hard, not getting kind of um, brought along with a lot of guys that just get excited at the beginning of a race. And, and of course, you feel good at the beginning of an Ironman bike. You should. Um, but being patient and being steady, um, I think in an Ironman too, staying mentally involved with the race, breaking it into small sections is really important. I mean, I think a lot of guys, when you're when you're out there racing for eight, nine, ten hours, even more, you kind of zone out a little bit and, and you kind of lose it. And then when you do that, you're not drinking, you're not eating, you're not thinking about you know what you should be doing in the moment. I think being able to stay mentally active is it's really important. And fortunately, I, I think I've been able to do do that um while i've been racing nice sound very rounded good yeah. word um so so it's obviously wise, wise. so you wise. know obviously the next few months is going to be um chaotic and uh and depending on how sleep deprived you are is going to affect your training but assuming everything goes um goes okay what's your sort of plan for the season well, I'm going to plan on opening up at the Rev3 Williamsburg race, which is in June. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically my home course. I mean, I train on the bike course almost every day when I'm cycling. I mean, it's right outside my door practically, so it's it's kind of a no-brainer for me, and it's a brand-new race. I've never done a Rev3 race, but I've heard wonderful things about their races, and um, I've talked to the, the, um, the owner of Rev3, and he's a fantastic guy, Charlie, and... Um, yeah, I'm just really excited to to race there and have that be kind of my first big coming out party, so to speak, for, for being a professional racer. After that, I'm going to take kind of a, a Midwestern tour. Uh, my wife is from Michigan, and so I'm going to take the baby and drive up to Michigan. And there's a couple of half Ironmans, one in Racine, Wisconsin, and then one in um, Benton Harbor, Michigan, called Steelhead 70.3. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hit a couple of those in the summer and then... Um, we'll see how that goes and see how the, the family's going and then we'll see what's going to happen in the fall. Nice. Okay. Um, if guys want to find out more about you, they can go to adamotstot.com. Um, I'll have a link on I Am Talk for that. Uh, tell us a bit, a bit of love for your sponsors. I'm, I'm liking you wearing Mizuno shoes, same sponsor as me. Um, give us give <laughs> a bit of love to, to any of your other sponsors. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a racer of Team Snapple, the Snapple national team. So Snapple, Mizuno, Head Wheels. Um, all fantastic. We wear Louis Garnier um, cycling gear and sweat vac hats and Rudy Project helmets and glasses. Um, really good products, uh, along with my Mizuno shoes, which are extremely comfortable and durable. I uh, <laughs> um, also want to give a shout out to um, Three Sports, which is a triathlon uh, shop and bike shop up in Richmond. They've been a supporter of me for ever since I've been in triathlon and even before that when I lived in Richmond. And then uh, Core Fitness and Peak Physical Therapy in Williamsburg, they kind of keep me going and keep me healthy and consistent, and I couldn't do it without them either. So, so, so what, what, what's Snapple? It's a drink. Snapple, yeah, it's uh, yeah. fruit juice, like teas. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. That's Very enough good. on it. Very good. It's an American thing, John. American thing. Yeah. Yeah, don't have it down New Zealand. It's delicious. You should try it sometime. Yeah, it is good. We'll, yeah. we'll get some when we're in Kona, shall yeah, we? Exactly. There, yeah, we go. there you go. Bevan will replace your Coke with Snapple. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Done. <laughs> awesome. Um, and all the very best for the uh, the next few. Yeah, bring it on. We look forward to seeing your name in the results. Next few days as well for um, for birthing time. Hope uh, hope it all goes, goes well. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing your results coming up this summer. So thanks for coming on the show. All right, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're a champ. 
Okay, John, we're back, Bo. And uh, Adam's you kind of kind of a little bit like what we were in our time, really, isn't he? Like, or at least myself, who kind of come from a different world, built up, and you know, kind of thought, well, maybe I could try this pro thing, although I wasn't that successful at it. But you know what I mean, like to kind of have a go. Adam's world's about. I wonder if he's ever. I wonder if he had that baby yet. We probably has one now because we recorded that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Uh, last week. So oh, okay, yeah. Same. I think the due date has been and gone, so we'll, uh, we'll see what, what's happening there. But um, yeah, no, good on him. I mean, um, wants to challenge himself. Um, he's fast enough to, to be a pro. You know, eight fifty one um, is is fast enough to be racing in the pro division. And the thing is, it's it's a little different in New Zealand as it is to um, different parts of the world. You know. He can be racing sort of on a regional level or, or in his area racing pro divisions and probably picking up a little bit of cash here and there and actually being competitive. Often we're only going to look at the big international races, but there is a, you know, a nice level below that where he can probably do quite well locally. So <clears throat> good on him. Yeah, yeah good times. <clears throat> Are you all right? I need to do the same thing. I'm good. <laughs> Sun, sun's coming up. I can see what's going on now. Okay, Jumbo sponsor. Uh, SLS you're dying, aren't you? You're right there? I'm not, I was just turning the light off in the car because the sun's up now, oh, so I don't need okay. any longer. You don't look so seedy anymore. No, so last last week we talked um, about SLS Try and they've got, got a fancy new women's range coming up, new new women's colours. So I thought surely they've got some on the guys' side, and they have. So if we look at their FX Try race top, you go onto their website and they've got a little image there. They've got a nice full white um, version of that. And then they've got, uh, you can scroll through all the different images. They've got the nice Canterbury colours, red, black, and uh, and white. Got a plain black. They've got a nice blend of greys. So um, plenty of options there in terms of tri-tops, a, a grey, white, and green. We had one like that on here, but can't one here. So it's all good stuff, and they've got a couple of new colours in there. So if you're looking for any tri-gear, check it out at slstri.com. <clears throat> and also uh, they've obviously got the IM Talk gear up there as well as their own SLS-branded gear, which is looking pretty funky. Yep. So um, check it out. If you, you, a lot of you guys' race season's coming into – into action, use the code I am talk. You get uh, 20% off any of the SLS gear except for the I am talk gear, which has already got the discount applied to it. And uh, check it out. Times, times racing season for you, Northern Hemisphere athletes. You've got to get some new kit, make sure you look good out there. Well, I got an email from someone today saying they're looking forward to getting some of those new shorts. So I'll tell you, mm. you'll be looking nice. flash. So check it out, slstry.com. And I also put a post up on uh, Facebook this week at some of the race, the upcoming races they're going to be at. So if you're in North America, check out their Facebook page and they've got a list of the races. Okay, questions and answers. Okay, John, so Christian Isaacs. Well, this was uh, Isaacson. He's yep. just saying about um, the, you mentioned this last week going to Haiti and doing a uh, a race over there. So he's uh, ultra, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, crazy, craziness. And he's, he's quite good at getting LPR or Christensen. So um, he's got a um, I got a link to a video that he did for a local news radio or TV station. So I'll put a link. I'll actually make that this week's video on imtalk.me. Nice. Sam Newell, who we mentioned earlier in the show, um, he came up with a question around the age group ranking for discussion of the week. His other question was, I thought uh, John might find interesting. I meant to send you an email a few weeks ago when John first started talking about the potential change in format for ITU Olympic triathlon. If athletes are going to be potentially focusing on sprint distance triathlons, will this... uh, 
over time affect the type of athletes we get in ITU races? Does John think this change in focus will affect the talent stepping up to Ironman in the long term? After all, there is a big difference between sprint and Ironman. And um, we've got next next week we've got our list, uh, interview with Brad Bevan coming out. It's He's, a great interview too. We've already mm. done it. It's it's a great interview. And he, he talks a lot about the um, the good old days in, in Australia and the different formats we've they, they had. And we, we've talked about this quite a bit in terms of the old Tui series and it was Uncle Toby's and it's really short, sharp racing. And I just I really think we've just got to get back to that. When I watched the race at the weekend um, and, I, and I, I basically just fast-forwarded big chunks of the bike. Um, yeah. just so we do know the unfortunate thing, as we're, as we're speaking <laughs> to Brad, and seriously, guys, when we get this interview out, make sure you download it because it's um, it was really interesting he's kind of been known as a bit of a quiet character isn't he john but he was a great interview wasn't he totally but as we're speaking to him unfortunately and i know this is going to sound a little bit weird but a bit funny but it's 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 not really the triathlete who wins nowadays you know it's it's not triathlon you know when when he was talking you know you're a triathlete you had to be good at all three sports you had to race strategically you're put in all different situations all the time you know, it sounded really fascinating to listen to how they raced. And whereas now you go, you know what, you're going to be able to swim and you're going to be able to ride well enough, but you're really going to be a great runner. And you're going yeah, to go, I, Yes and no, I'd agree to that to, to a level, but I, I still think if it was a non-drafting format, the same guys would still be winning. Yeah, but it's still not very interesting. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I think in terms of the athletes, um, and and you do, uh, I think um, I, I agree with what you're saying about you've got to be half decent on the bike, but you don't have to be amazing. I don't think that the, the ITU guys get given quite enough credit as as how good they are on the bike, um, but uh, I totally agree. It's, it comes down to the run, but. Um, I think my comments on this is is right now, no matter what format you make it, you change it into a double super sprint, an enduro, whatever you change the distances into, you're still going to have Gomez and Brownie and the same guys, same guys winning. What I think it would do, it would help to, it would eliminate some of the guys who are just say the the, the runner guys who just managed to make it into the group and then just sit in there and then uh, and then try to do as best they can on on the run. So I think it would help weed some of those guys out. So I think you'd have some changes in the top 10 but I think we've got some real issues in terms of the um We've got to make it more exciting. We've got to make sure the TV production is a little bit better because um, some sports do this well. You know, cycling, people will sit there and watch a, a stage of the Tour de France for, for five hours or whatever, yet um, I'm getting bored and I'm a hardcore triathlete. I'm getting a little bit bored watching a, a two-hour race. And I think part of that is in the production that they're doing. They've got great footage and great cameras on the course, but they've got to package it a bit better in terms of, um, you know, d- inserting lots of interviews into the corner of the screen and having some, some experts commentators rather than just having two guys talking about what we can all see on the screen so I think they've got some real issues there and I, th- I think if they shorten the races down to one hour um, I th- and change the format a bit more and they are doing a little bit of this and we're going to see this as the season progresses it's got to be made for TV but, but I think John, going- John like I've never really gotten into watching the Tour de France it's, it's never really been my buzz but so you say you can quite happily sit down and watch an event for five hours, and then but you find triathlon boring for two hours. You know, like could they keep the same format but just learn how to package it better? Yeah, I think that's a, a big part of it. You know. Uh, so really what does what does the Tour de France do well that makes you want to sit there for five hours? Well, when you think about a cycle race, sure, definitely parts of the Tour de France are really interesting, but mm. I'm sure there's stages that are pretty pretty bloody boring. So yeah, how yeah, do they no, keep you in it. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I need, on a hill, hill stage, you're basically just sitting there waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I wouldn't sit there and watch a flat stage, but I'd sit, I, I wouldn't sit there and watch five hours, but I'd quite happily sit there and watch them climbing over two mountain passes because you never know quite when something's going to happen and, and you're expecting something to happen. Whereas often, on the, you know, if I'm watching the, uh, the bike lever of a triathlon, if it's a flat course, I'm going, well, even if someone breaks away here, they're not going to hold on. They're going to get run down. So you kind of can almost predict what is going to happen. Um, so there's, there's no anticipation of excitement. Whereas, yeah. it, whereas it's like the tour, you know, there's, there's that tension of shit, anything can happen at any moment, which keeps yeah. you on it. Whereas with the triathlon right now, just the way it's working, mm. it, you, it's pretty much a given that nothing's going to happen. So there's no reason to watch that part of the race. Exactly, and and I think you know I I would love to see that they used to have this, but it didn't, they didn't really pull it off for whatever reason. But it's to have some sprint frames and things like that, and make it financially via, uh, interesting enough for people people to actually participate in the sprint. And so the big kahunas probably aren't going to be caring; they're going to be more focused on the, the the big part of the race. But you know, if you had a sprint, every, if it's an eight lap course and you had a, a sprint every second lap or something, yeah. then that's going to be something pretty cool to watch. Um, if they went to had a different format where they go double on it, double sprint or, or triple sprint distance then it's going to break things up a bit more and there'll be a bit more carnage in terms of you know they're jumping into the the swim and there's a bit of a split there are these guys going to bridge up or not and so how they're going to make the group but at the moment it's just it becomes a bit of a dawdle around the bike course um and but i still agree with you if they package it up right they could still make it more interesting have, insert lots of interviews get someone like a gimmel on there and give have a guest commentator come in and say right this is what's happening at the moment and we're going to see this happen so on this is the speeds are going whereas at the moment it's really just a commentary of, of, of viewing what's going on and i think they need to do some work on that same thing applies to iron man they've got to brush up their game a bit but i think they're actually doing some quite good work in that area so um John, so, so why did they choose the olympic distance uh, I think they just needed something fairly standardised to get into the Olympics. You know, it's like the marathon is 42 kilometres long every time you do it. Yeah. Um, and so I think they just sort of settled on a distance and, and, and built some history around it. And, um, yeah, it's rightly or wrongly, that's just the way that it's gone. Okay. Um, but back to back to just to, to Sam's question a little bit. Um, don't think it would change the results uh, too much at the moment. And I actually don't think long term it would change too much of that flow-on effect to um, – to, to Ironman, you know, when the, when the short course guys decide it's time to go up, they're generally going to have so much base training under them. Um, you know, like a Bevan Doherty, you know, he said he hasn't actually changed his training very much when he's gone to Ironman. Sure, he's had to have a couple of extra longer sessions in there, but um, these guys, uh, the ITU guys are going to have so many years of base under them. Um, it will be a change in, in focus with their training and, and slightly different sessions, but I still think that we will see that bit of production line carrying on to, to short course guys going out there and crushing long course guys and long course racing mm, good time um martin white sent through one saying um 50 choose message maybe i missed it but uh that would mean a few seconds remove my earphones to acknowledge other runners or dog owners but i'm wondering how john's 50 choose regime is going so he Ma wants to know are you still doing it is it a big part Martin of your 2014 i'm a lean mean fighting machine martin and i uh, chew every item of food 50 times do you really no, I don't. But I have been consciously trying to, to chew more. I certainly don't sit there counting my chews. What do you do? What, what, what's your theory behind the chew? Um, a number of different things. is uh, If you speed eat, I find that um, you get full 
later, you know, you get you, you don't get full and you just keep eating, keep eating, keep eating because you um, don't think you're full. So I think it extends the the meal out a little bit a little bit longer, and, and that's probably the the main thing for me is to actually not rush my eating so much that I just keep filling my plate with more. And that could be achieved in other ways as well by just simply putting a plate of food, regardless of how many times you you chew it. Um, but that's probably the main reason for me. Okay, good good times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hotel dominated. I, I was thinking about this last night. Hotel did the um, the London Marathon last weekend and did a two thirty two, which is nice. smoking it. And uh, and I was thinking maybe we should have the IAM Talk Community's records for different distances. Like who's done the fastest ten k? Who holds the IAM Talk Marathon record? Who holds the IAM Talk? You know, IAM record. Yeah, that'd be good. And Hotel would be the leader right now, wouldn't he? Well, probably. I mean, you have Craig. What about Coop, Craig? Coop, what he do? Yeah, but but his is when he was a runner, runner. So I don't know what Craig could do could do these days. But his times well, well, well under that in terms of when he was a runner. But when he's actually been a triathlete, I'm not actually sure if he's even run a, a decent marathon um, or, or tried to run a decent marathon since. So, um, two three two's not not too shabby. Not too shabby for. Oh, is, that, um, is that all you're giving him? Not too shabby. Not well, relative to. I remember when he did uh, a little with extreme endurance. He did a little t- series of five k um, races, and uh, and his times were not that flash. And a two thirty two was is is that's that's smoking it. That's nice work. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Hey, we do have to mention Boston Marathon. Obviously, last weekend was um was a pretty horrible time, and we actually got a couple of emails. We got two emails from people who've been quite critical of. Um, the way we conducted ourselves on the show last week. And I think uh, John and I were a little bit upset with those emails, which is uh, fair to say from our side, because it was it was one of those things that like, I haven't actually gone back and listened to the show, John. Have you gone back and listened? No. No. And it was one of those things that it was happening as we were doing the show. We didn't really even know what was happening. And it was one of those things that I'm sure that if you listen to it afterwards, you may have thought we were being a bit insensitive but really, we just didn't even know what was happening. And, and as John said in one of the responses to one of the people who wrote to us, um, if we'd done the show an hour, two hours later, it would have been a completely different show. And uh, and we didn't. And it was just it is what it is. And I think someone put on Facebook, it was weird listening to last week's show. And I think for me, that was probably the fairest way of looking at it. Like, I'm sure it sounded really odd and strange. And, and maybe if, you know, based on some of the information you knew after we recorded it, you may have thought we were being a little bit insensitive. But... You guys need to know that, you know, you guys know John and I really well and we've been a part of a lot of your guys' lives for over seven years now. You know, we, we obviously care about people and when things like this happen, you know, we're not going to be just disregardful of it or disrespectful of it. And it was a horrible event and, um, you know, and, and we, you know, you know, we just really care and we really, you know, our heart's in the right place if, if you were concerned about that. Exactly. Yeah, because it was a horrible thing, wasn't it? It was indeed. It was indeed. Yeah, so just our thoughts go out to those families and those people and, uh, yeah, and mm, so, anyway, sponsor. Coffees of Hawaii. Bevan, you often have those little situations where you – Somebody's done something really good for you. You just want to give them a little, a little gift, a little something or other. And one of those things you could try is a coffee card because Coffees of Hawaii have got the coffee card memberships and you can just send them a little gift card and then they can actually choose what sort of delicious coffee. It's actually a pretty good idea because it's like choosing clothes for, you, for your mum choosing clothes for you. Did oh, your yeah. mother ever choose clothes for you? It was not allowed. Not allowed? Yeah. My mum still does. No. I know. She chose me undies. No. And I'm a bit fussy with undies, John, because mm. I only buy Calvin Klein's. I just, that's all I do. So I only wear Calvin Klein undies. I know that's personal information. And Mum bought me some bonds. Yeah. And bonds for those those who don't know about bonds, like, 
They're not Calvin Klein's. No, you know, no, cut the mustard. I know. It's like your mother buying your coffee and you go, you want to show you appreciate the coffee, but really you don't like that flavor of coffee. Whereas exactly. You buy the coffee card and you say, here, go on this website. It's the best coffee in the world. They go on, they'll see all the selection. I go, oh, I might try a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then they're going to think you're a legend. Exactly. So get on it. Coffee cards, some coffees of Hawaii. Great way to support the show and great way to give some gifts. All right. And it's a gift that people love. Like, honestly, I think it's the best man gift you can buy. Because pretty much everyone loves coffee and men are hopeless to buy for. So you buy them a coffee card, you're going to be in the good books. It's the number one. Bevan's number one one tip. John? Yes? Does Belinda buy your clothes? Very, very infrequently. Oh, does she? Yeah. No. But... I buy my clothes. She can come shopping with me and give me advice on them, but um, generally. How often do you go shopping for clothes? I imagine every week, knowing you. (laughs) Very, very (laughs) rarely. Very rarely. Uh, Right, Bevan, what's happening? Our sponsors, quickly. Uh, Coffeesofwai.com. Get get the gift. SLS Try. Get the pants. Extreme Endurance. Get the fish. Athlinks.com. Get the results. And trainingpeaks.com. Get the stats. Okay, Jumbo, what's the goss? Remember, if you're going to Training Peaks, use the code IAMTALK. And uh, if you're going to just sign up with a free membership, go through our website, IAMTALK.me, so they know where you're coming from. What's the goss, oh, actually, actually, just quickly, also remember, if you want the show emailed to you, just go to www.iamtalk.me, put your info in the email link there. Um, if you've got any questions, IAMTALKpodcast at gmail.com. And just quickly on Facebook, John, I just put up our Facebook page. Yes. Good old Greg Gorman. He's loving the fact we're going to have a blender challenge. Oh, yeah. But he hasn't, yeah. Much, he hasn't got much faith in my cheap blender. He's got, bring on the blender challenge. I'm betting Bevan's cheap-ass blender falls to pieces with the frozen bananas chucked in. <laughs> Let's wait and see what happens to that because I, I kind of agree. Well, but anyway, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be blamed for smashing your blender. And you may have to go to Briscoe's again and dish out another 70 bucks. But, uh, you know, you've put it out there. You think yours is up for I'm it? confident, quietly confident, mm. quietly confident. Okay, what's your goss? Um, I'm sitting in Koteri Terry, sun's up, I need to go for my run and... Tell us about your drive. Tell us about the drive, geez, summer's over in New Zealand. We, I spent the weekend on, the, we had a nice little group wind trainer in my garage on Sunday morning. But, um, <laughs> was it that bad? Yeah, yeah, well I wasn't going riding in the rain. Was um, that bad? Cold rain. Was so, you would not have gone riding in the hey, cold. I was at the gym working out, it wasn't it that bad. It rained all day, all day. Um... Yeah, driving up to Kaiteri yesterday, it's about a, um, about a five and a half hour drive. And uh, geez, we were, drove through some rain and I just I, had, I was going about 40k an hour and pretty much couldn't see a thing. And uh, it was pretty full. We came through this little sort of cutout and there was like rocks falling down on the road and stuff. And I was like, geez, better keep, better keep moving. Blunder just said, floor it. <laughs> so, uh, like good times. We're up here for a week, first week of the school holidays. And. Stoked! I'm still swimming in the sea. I had a little one uh, k swim in the sea. You know, it's it's end of April, and I'm still able to go for a swim. In the sea. It was it was cold, but it certainly was not um, ice block cold or anything so like you that. Wetsuit on? Yeah, wetsuit, wetsuit, and, and helmet and stuff. But um, I've certainly swum in a lot colder. Wow, you're tough. So good times. Days, um, and can't think of too much other gossip, Bevan. Just really? holiday stuff. What about you? Do you watch Game of Thrones? No. Oh, John, you need to watch Game of Thrones. Anyway, it doesn't matter because if you're not watching it, there's no connection level there. Gosh. Had the meeting with the insurance guy yesterday, John. Yeah. Tell you what, insurance guys make you feel you're going to die, don't they? Yeah. You know, life insurance, bloody policy here, policy there, and they keep going, but if you die, what happens with this person here? And you go, oh, no. So then you go, okay, get me more policy. They're pretty clever, aren't they? Well, <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assured to the hilt. If I if I die, John, you get a million dollars. That's what I've That's, done. That sounds yeah. well. Like. I, I said I want John to be covered if I die because the show needs to go on. Yeah. Yeah. Did that, what else has been happening? Um, um, having a games night this weekend. Right. Nice. Yes. And Joe's pretty excited. He's excited about all the different games. The games we're going to play. What games should we play, John? Um, well, top, before I came down to the show at uh, six o'clock in the morning, I had a quick game of uh, Guess Who with Thomas. He, he was pretty pumped about that. Oh, did you win? Guess Who? I did not actually win, and I wasn't actually didn't I didn't throw the game. How often do you throw the game for the kids? Uh, certainly not all the time. A lot, but not all the time. You got to let them lose sometimes, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And my kids are not good losers. Thomas is not a good loser. Oh really? He is. He's pretty competitive. Does he throw the board? <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> He literally throws the forward or he changes the rule mid-game. Tyler and I play a lot of backgammon. We, we, mm. We've just always played backgammon for some reason. And she, she beats me all the time, a little crapper. And it's at that stage where, you know, like you used to kind of let her win, but now she wins. Well, I still win sometimes, but I'm not happy. No. You know, not happy. So, Bevan, what's that? The, my running shoes are calling me. Have they got, have they got phones? They have got phones. Oh, you've got some high-tech mizunos here, man. You've got to like, get, get smart. Yeah, yeah, they're calling. Five by two K today. Five, five by two K. Yeah. Well, how much of a warm up? Uh, probably twenty minute warm up. Five by two K, sitting at three forty five. Just, just, I'm just doing a little bit more running, get myself prepared for um for the seventy point three in Kona. Don't wanna, don't wanna risk it like I did in Auckland, where I seem to have a miraculously pull out a good run from from nowhere. I'm just going to do a few little, little bit extra running heading into Kona. When's the seventy point three? Uh, it's at the end of the camp, so I'll be a little bit tired anyway. But um, it's 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 the first weekend of June, so I've got basically just over a month to go. John, mm. I was on yoga sync the other day. I've been doing some yoga syncs as you do, and, and today I'll do probably an hour. Mm. And and I was looking up, you know, syncs. You're like Mr. Popular on yoga sync. Yeah. yeah Mr. John Newsom workout one, Newsom three. They had the most popular syncs, and your ones came up. There you go. If you want to try it out, guys, you can go on there and just you just search by by name, and uh, I came up. They made up about about four sinks for me. Well, I need to make up some sinks. Yeah, because my name's not on there, and I, I've made up sinks, but I haven't put them Bevan Isles sinks. So I'm doing yeah. it today. There you go. And Get onto it. Good times, rock and roll. Okay, we're back next week, and I'm in the studios. Okay, good times. I am Rust. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia ka. Bloody hell, it was an hour. I've got to go. Right. Yeah, 30 <laughs> okay. minutes my ass. Right about, I'll catch up. See you, mate. Bye. See you, bye.